Welcome, guys, to Kieran's Corner. Another special guest today on Your Team, Your Say. We have a guy who you're probably familiar with, actually, and that's everyone's favourite Philadelphia Eagles fan, Steve. How you doing, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Excited to talk the birds for an hour. So, uh, yeah, uh, let's let's get into it. Uh, obviously, being a Patriots fan, you are kind of our mortal enemies a little bit, but we can get we can get into the uh, Philly Philly and stuff in a little bit. But without further ado, Welcome, Steve. Thanks for coming on. A team that are uh, controversial, I, I, I'm going to say, uh, in recent years. But let's let's start where we always start in Kieran's Corner, and that's off-season last year. There were a lot of questions being asked about Carson Wentz. Still, there are a lot of issues going on with the team. And then, obviously, how the season went. Do, do you think all the issues in the locker room and stuff affected last season and were you happy with the draft obviously you picked up a new quarterback who will probably be the starter going forward but how did you feel last off season ready going into last season I mean, yes, the, the, they obviously had to have an effect. You know, Carson Carson Wentz doesn't turn around and become the quarterback that he did become, regardless of what you think his ceiling is. He, he doesn't have that flaw without something impacting that. Um, and I know that, that Howie Roseman made an offhand comment a few years ago saying that the Eagles want to be a QB factory and he's never lived that down. And I understand sort of why they picked Hurts. I, I get it. Like, he's a, he's a young rookie and having a young, backup quarterback is 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 good so that you can you don't have to keep signing a veteran every year so I get why they did it but a second round pick on a guy you know take a flyer on a sixth or a seventh round don't spend a second round pick on a guy so it had to have upset the apple cart and and I think things as soon as it happened like the reaction around the fan base and around the people that cover the team that I follow so week in week out was just a case of no one saw this coming no one and you know regardless of Hurts' ability as a quarterback and regardless of what you think of Jalen Hurts Carson Wentz has got to be sitting there thinking well why don't you trust me why are you spending a second round pick on me you know the the Cowboys don't go out and pick a second round quarterback to to back up Dak you know the the Seahawks don't go out and pick a second round quarterback to pick to back up Russell Wilson you know those types of situations so it had to have forced the issue somehow and and it obviously affected him there's a whole you know, plethora of other things that have obviously impacted it, but it had to have affected the season, and and it and it showed. It showed on the field. You know, Carson Wentz was the worst quarterback in the league last year, and was eventually benched in Week 13 against the Packers. Um, and and I didn't think it would end the way it did. Um, I'm I'm an eternal optimist. I always will be, especially about the Eagles. And I never thought I would see Wentz play in a different jersey. Certainly not this stage in his career. Um. And it's just it's just sad, really. Like, how how can you go from spending a first round pick and, and, and all the draft capital that came with it to get him and then him not be playing for the team five seasons later? Like, how did it get to this point? That's what I don't understand as an Eagles fan. And you offered him the monster contract as well. Uh, and that I think you were trying to get out from under that, honestly. But there's an issue that you're going to know better about for me because... You know, I have insiders for a couple teams like the Patriots and stuff that I'm close to. So I don't know if you have maybe a little bit of better information than me. But supposedly there was a bit of a locker room struggle between uh, Wentz and Peyton. And there was, you know, kind of the owners were a little bit more attached to Carson. So they were maybe giving him a little bit more free reign and cutting him in a little bit more slack than he should have been allowed. And then obviously hurts. People forget that quarterbacking is... 90% confidence. Like, if you're not confident, you're going to play bad. We've seen games where Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and all these guys, they don't go out there with the utmost confidence and they don't perform. So given that you feel like the owners kind of cut him too much slack and that's where the trouble came from, or do you think it was a confidence thing after uh, drafting Jalen Hurd? Well, I think I first of all... I... Sorry. 
first of all i would say i don't blame them for paying him absolutely not like you know he he that season he had in 2017 which we'll come on to was astounding before the injury and he looked a good prospect coming out of college you know i i think when there was the first where there's goff and wentz on the board and the rams went up Rams went up to number one and picked Goff. I actually think they picked the wrong quarterback. I think Wentz was better than Goff coming out of college. Not by much, but I think he was. And I, so I don't blame them for paying him. It was, and, and by all standards, it wasn't like a monster deal. It wasn't like a Pat Mahomes or a, or a Dak Prescott deal. It wasn't. It was your average sort of going rate for a quarterback. And they got it done fairly early. And a lot of people praised them for that because it was, you know, at that time you're getting paid early and then it's done, it's, done, it's finished, and then you can worry about the rest of the roster. And then I... It, it has to be attributed to them picking Hertz. Whilst I don't think they ever intended for Hertz to take over from Wentz, and I think their intentions were that he would back up Wentz, something obviously got to him. A, a, a screw was loose somewhere, or, or something has obviously clipped him. And I think it's a, it's a mixture of several things. And I think the Eagles are a team that um, that are live and die on their line play and, and i know most of the nfl you know you you have to be you have to have strong lines especially the offensive line but but harry roseman is a gm who builds in the offensive line you'll see that from the draft they took landon dickerson in the second round he's a guy that builds the offensive line to then not put so much on the pressure of the, of the quarterback and so when brandon brooks all pro guard goes down with a torn achilles um that's an issue when um when the first round pick andre dillard goes down with a torn bicep that's another issue that's two of your starting five linemen out and then lane johnson had lane johnson who's a you know four-time pro bowler who's had niggling ankle injuries all season that is going to put pressure on the quarterback and i don't want to give him excuses and i don't want to say you know it's not all of his fault because some of the things that he was doing were definitely his fault but that definitely affected him the other thing with carson wentz is in the past he's shown the ability to play well with very very limited weapons you know you we all saw that 2019 uh, end of season playoff run where he won four games in a row and i think the most notable wide receiver on the team was greg ward you know who is a qb convert out of out of uh, texas i think yeah. so you know it, it, he's proved he proved in the past that he has the ability to 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 drag what what many have called deck chairs as wide receivers to to the playoffs and that 2019 run was astounding for him to do that and then to come into 2020 and for this for his for his career to unravel the way it is in philadelphia i yeah i think that the i think the the owners and the, because of the money that invested in him and because of jeffrey lurie I, you know it sounds like he's wanting to take a bit more of a of a dabble in the football side of things whereas he hasn't in the past recently they obviously wanted him to play more because they don't want that investment to fall apart i get that but from what i understand he would have been benched sooner had doug peterson had more of a of a an ability to say you know he's not you know he's not playing well we need to bring him out of this and every week we started every week i'd say okay right we're going to see the good carson now we're going to see the carson Wentz of old now um and i think in the there was a game against the, I think it was the Cowboys. It might have been the Giants in week seven, but definitely the Cowboys, where he actually played relatively well. You know, not by not his 2017 standard, but relatively well. And I thought, okay, maybe we're starting to turn a corner here. And then after the bye week, we lost 27-17 to the Giants, and it was all back to the beginning again. And I think it's a mixture of all of it. And I think it all knocked his confidence. But what a lot of people close to the team, you know, the guys that follow it, that have got much more knowledge than you and I have said is that he just didn't take responsibility and accountability. He didn't come out and say like, you know, this is my issue. This is my problem. I need to get better. I need to do this. I need to do that. I'm holding my hands up. I'm most playing bad. It just didn't sound like he ever wanted to do that. And Philadelphia regardless of what you think of the team is a tough market it's you know it's the type of market where the fans get on the back you know they throw th snowballs at, at santa you know that's the it's a type of market it is it's a tough market to play in and if you haven't got the balls to play in that market you've got to go you, you you're not going to survive and it looks like carson wentz just just couldn't survive um so i think it is a mixture of both but ultimately the, the when it got to the end of the season the right was on the wall yeah i was gonna say it must be hard playing for a city named after everyone's favorite spreadable cheese but like the the what is, the, the weird thing with me with Carson that 2017 season was so great and everything he did looked great and it was kind of there was the hype around this might be the new guy in the league this might be the new hot young quarterback and then 
2019 and 2020, his mechanics looked bad. His decision-making looked bad. He, he was holding on to the ball way too long. He was trying to make hero plays. And he just, it, it seemed odd. It felt like that should have been his rookie season. That should have been his first season. And then he should progress to what 2017 was. And it, it's odd that it went the other way. And it's funny you mentioned the responsibility thing, because if he's not taking responsibility for his actions, do you think that's then hurting him in camp? Because he doesn't think he has to get better at everything. And he, he doesn't think anything he's doing is wrong. So he's maybe not taking coaching as seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it tells, it tells by the fact that he's been traded, you know, that if, if he truly wanted to stay on this team and improve and, and get over the season, he would have stayed, he would have stayed and he would have played and, you know, a start afresh this year, you know, you've got your line healthy again, you've got a, a new, obviously, you know, depending on if Wentz hadn't been traded, they may, the draft may have gone differently, but you've got, you know, a, a Heisman trophy when a wide receiver, you've got better weapons there, you know, they, they would have added talent around him to make him better, but I think it got to the point where it just became obvious that Wentz wasn't involved anymore. He 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 checked out and and it sounded like as well he didn't believe he needed to be benched. And when you look at his play at the time he was leading the league in in interceptions. I think he did finish with the most interceptions in the league, maybe beaten by one player, but from from 12 and a half games rather than uh, sorry, eleven and a half games. Beg your pardon. Rather than rather than the full sixteen slate, you know, if 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 you don't believe you need to be benched at that point, then you've what account? What how accountable are you holding yourself? You know, I, I loved Carson Wentz, and I'm. I, it's so sad that he's not an eagle anymore. And I really believed in coming out of college, and that and that that 2017 season was fantastic. And I was exactly agree with you. You know, he there was flashes where it could have been like, oh, this could be the next. You know, this this could be the next big guy. A lot of comparisons to Big Ben. He's a big guy. He's six five. He's got that height. He's got that arm as well. And 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 he did some of the throws he can make were insane. And it's just all gone. What happened? How did we get to this? point uh, and the thing was when you watched him play especially in that 2017 season before he got hurt so athletic some of the running plays he could make and some of the moves he could make outside of the it was just ridiculous and it's crazy to see that it's gone downhill like this like last year he was you could see when he was throwing balls you knew he was going to miss because of how he set his feet he had this weird pigeon toe going on with his lead leg and anyone who's teached a quarterback for more than a day knows that you can't be doing that. I've I've pointed out numerous times when I've worked with quarterbacks and they pigeon toe, they're never going to hit their target. And that's one of the first things I drill into young quarterbacks is, hey, your feet are one of the most important things you can get right for being a quarterback. So if you're not setting your feet correctly, you're not going to hit your target. And But let, let, let's move on to the biggest issue that I think people are talking about with the Eagles this year. And that's actually Jalen Hurts because... He looked, he had flashes. Let's be honest, he had some great flashes. And on the ground, he was the kid's so athletic. How, how did you feel when he, fir he first made his appearance for the Eagles this season? I think when it got to that point in week 14 against the Saints, um, when he was the, named the starter, I think at that stage everyone was ready for, for Hurts. You know, it was like, right, let's just see what he can do. Let's see how good he is. Because if he's amazing for four games, then that really throws a spanner in the works. And this is obviously before the talk of trading Carson came along and, and you know, when, when it was just literally going to be Wentz and Hurts. And, and when Hurts came in and he showed flashes and he won his first game against the Saints as well and against a, a, a Saints team that were, were vying to be a Super Bowl contender with Breeze in his final season with all the stars that the Saints have. And he won against the, the, the Saints and, and played respect, you know, respectively for a, for a rookie. Um, and, and, and that was, you know, initially you think, okay, well, you know, Wentz is obviously having a dreadful season. We need to, you know, get him, you know, Get, get him out of this season and see what we can do with, with the off-season around him. But if he's not working, then we've got a guy here who could really be the answer. And I, I you know, I listen to Eagles pods all the time and, and, and perhaps Eagles writers are a little bit biased, but one of them mentioned um, this week, actually, discussing Hurt, saying that if you take Lamar Jackson out of the equation, he's the best rushing quarterback in the league. Uh, that might be a bold claim, but I, you know, I, I think he's got that ability with his feet. He's, you know, regardless of his throwing ability, that's not in question here. Is it's with his feet? I think he is a real, real, real good talent. And you know, is his 
uh, college stats aside, you know, he left Alabama to 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 go elsewhere and and, and try and 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 you know him, uh, get himself a drafted higher, which obviously worked. The Eagles obviously picked up on him, and uh, you know, going into the 2021 season with Hurts under center, he's done a lot of the right things that make me think, okay, you know. Let's give this guy a chance. The 2021 season for me is a bit of a sort of sort of free hit. Like, you know, let's see what Jalen Hurts has, has got in the in the locker. You know, I'm not prepared to sort of drill him for his one and three record and his touchdown to interception ratio because that Eagles team was bad by week by week by I mean, you know, by week four they were bad, but by week 13, 14, 15 they were bad. You know, there was injuries along both lines. You know, the, the wide receivers call was shot. They had no weapons at all. Um, you know, it was just a bad team. And I think when you get to that point, you know, in in week 14 going in the Saints game, the Eagles are 3-8-1. and one. Um, You know, if you're in that sort of team, you know that you've, you've already, you already can't get to 500. You're already there. So I'm prepared to, you know, let him have that. You don't, it's not, I don't think it's his fault. I don't think you can put that on his shoulders. But this season, the Eagles have done everything to sort of say to him, okay, you know, 2021, you're our guy. I, you know, barring something that I, out of the blue that I don't really expect, I think he will be the starter from week one. Um, uh, and 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 let's see what he can do. Let's see what he can do. You know, if he if he if he drags the team to like nine and eight or 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 ten and seven, unlikely as that is, then you know that the Eagles have got someone they can rely on. But m- what is potentially more likely is that he doesn't do all that well, and then the Eagles have got to dip back into the market again. So. Yeah, I, I liked flashes of what I saw. You know, there's, there's, he's. I don't think he's a top five or ten quarterback by no stretch. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of if you want to win, you have to have a top five or at least top ten quarterback. But you know, the Eagles are in a rebuild. They've the caps all over the place. Um, there's a lot of veteran players that are going to be out the door in the next couple of years. So let's see what he can do. I was going to say because Carson, that contract, the dead money from that is. <laughs> it's it's crazy, but it's the most NFL history. Given... Jesus, I didn't know it was that bad, but um, 30, I know you're giving Jalen. Jesus, you're giving Jalen a lot to succeed on this year. If we look at your draft, and we're we're talking about going into next next year, and obviously the first round pick you guys took was, in my eyes, controversial, just because I I don't think he's he's got the size to play. NFL wide receiver, the, the 160 pounds was a little bit worrying to me. But <clears throat> all across the board, it, no doubt he's a great talent, just injury concerns for me. We look at the guys you picked up. You took Landon Dickerson, amazing center, Milton Williams, Zach McPherson, Kenneth Gainwell. You took some absolute studs here. And Milton Williams and Marlon Tupitulu uh, are guys I, I scouted for um and Zach McPherson actually guys I scouted for the NFL um draft guide we did at full ten yards the college guys so they are talented players. Are you happy with the picks that you got this year? I the only thing I would say is that I'm I'm a I'm a bit sort of perplexed as as to why we didn't take an outside corner higher because as much as I've heard good things about uh, Zach McPherson, um, it, it sounds like he's more of a slot guy, um, and he's a bit undersized as well. Uh, so I you know when it came to round two, I really thought the Eagles were going to go someone like Asante Samuel Jr. You know someone like that, like an outside corner that could really you know help with that secondary because outside of the line, the Eagles. I've got a real poor um, back seven. You know, they're, they're, they, you know, they picked up a, a really good uh, signing with Anthony Harris from the from the Vikings. But apart from him, the, the, the secondary is pretty weak. Um, they, they are a Darius Slay injury away from having to play, you know, three relative unknowns at, at cornerback. So it's that surprises me. They could still pick up a guy in, in, in free agency to do that, but that surprises me. But apart from that, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty pleased. Like obviously Devonta Smith's got questions about his size, but you know, he, he, I don't think he ever got injured at college. If he did, it was very minimal. And and he's a he's a ball magnet. Like he doesn't drop the ball either. That which is something the Eagles just need. They need someone that can just catch the ball. They've had real problems with drops in the last few seasons. Um, 
Landon Dickerson, you know, his injury history made him questionable, and a lot of people would say he's too high because of the injuries. He's, he's had two separate ACL, ACL tears on each knee, um, one on each knee. So that's that's a question. But he's already been participating in, in rookie minicamp, so it looks like he might be okay. So if he can stay healthy, he's a steal, from what I'm told. I don't follow, follow college as much as as you guys do, but you know, I've I've read good things about Milton Williams' size. What you know, production aside, I certainly won't compare him production wise to to him, but size. Wise apparently draws comparisons to Aaron Donald. Um, again, you know, putting the production aside, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Aaron Donald, but size wise. And I think I've seen videos of him um, benching 500 pounds, so that's always nice. <laughs> and Kenny Gamewell as well, that was a really, really cool pickup. A lot of the the um, college guys said that that was a, a bit of a steal in the, in the fifth round. He's a real uh, gadget guy out of Memphis. Um, you know, they like to produce that type of, type of running back, and that could really help in the in the running back pass catching game, which Miles Sanders seems to lack. Um, and again, like I, I follow LSU loosely. Uh, I don't know near as much as you and Jacoby Stevens you know, could be a bit of a, a sort of special teams guy and could help there. Um, so yeah, I think overall, I think the Eagles had a pretty good uh, draft. I'd, I've seen sort of plenty of sort of bees uh, thrown around in terms of grading, uh, but I'm sure you could probably give me a better rundown as as, as you're a draft analyst for full ten. Yeah, well, was, was some of the things about guys like Milton Williams is you, you uh, especially with these defensive tackle guys never look at their production look at the production of their edge guys that's where it really sets them apart if we look at for example washington who in my opinion have the best defensive line in the league now you look at the production from chase young and montez sweat because of guys like deron Payne in the middle i think milton williams can really bring that you uh, bring that for you guys when you have guys coming off the edge and stuff and i just think it's He's going to create a whole lot of disruption, and obviously, Jacoby Stevens. You know, I'm I'm diehard Tigers fan. I I bleed um, purple and gold. So, seeing him on an NFL roster, I'm surprised it took him to round six. But he he's a great safety. Look, we're called DBU for a reason. You're going to get quality whatever round of the draft. I was surprised that you picked up Zach McPherson, though. Like personally, I would have gone. I don't know if he's still available there. But if I, I'd have gone earlier, I'd have gone for someone uh, like an Elijah Molden out of Washington just because IQ-wise, he's off the charts. He's going to be able to read what's going on in the field by far. I think even the quarterback has even called the play. So, so he's, he's absolutely ridiculous. And I think maybe that would have helped your defense a little bit more just down the stretch. But do you have any expectations for this season? Like what, what would you say your record would be knowing what you know now? It's such a difficult one because there's been so much change. Like one thing we haven't even touched on yet is the fact that they fired Doug Peterson. You know, it's the first time since I think '72. I think I read earlier that that a team has fired their Super Bowl winning head coach within three years. How are the Eagles at a point where they are three years out from winning the Super Bowl and both the head coach, both coordinators, and their starting quarterback, albeit through injury, uh, are all out of the team? How how did we get to this point? So, you know, I, I, so far I like what I've seen from Sirianni. Um, he's obviously a rookie head coach. He's never done it before, but he seems to have, you know, brought a bit of energy, which I think we need. We're, we're going through a rebuild. This 2021 season is a bit of a free hit. You know, a lot rests on what Jalen Hurts can do. If he hasn't got it, the Eagles are likely to have three first-round picks next year. So they've got plenty of ammunition if they do need to pick up some someone. Um, I would say, you know... <sighs> what can you be happy with? I would be happy with a winning record, you know, even close to a winning record, given the season we've just had, you know, like a, we're going into a 17 game season. So potentially like an eight and nine or maybe even a seven and 10 dare I say it, you know, I've watched the Eagles now for, for a number of years and I've only ever really seen two real poor seasons, um, which was last season and Andy Reid's last season. Um, you know, there's been a few sort of seven and nines thrown in there, but they've never been that bad where you put the game on every week and you think this would just not going to win this game you know so i'll be interested also the eagles by by lost by last year's win, uh, records the eagles have the easiest schedule which is obviously you know you've got to take that with a pinch of salt because teams change an awful lot and that sort of stuff but the eagles have in theory the easiest schedule so we'll see you know i you know i think they could um play well i think a lot of it depends on the, the health of their line you know if if someone like brandon brooks or jason kelsey or lane johnson goes down again then we could be in for a long year but you know i i don't expect the eagles to go to the playoffs i'd be very very surprised if they do um 
but I, you know, I, I just an improvement on this year, just not so much controversy and perhaps just to settle down. And I think I'd like to see, you know, someone like Devonta Smith, first round pick, I'd like to see him settle down and play well. Um, Cause it's been a while since the Eagles have had a first rounder who's really impacted in the NFL. You know, they've got some solid guys, but no one who's been like, you know, that name in lights type thing. And if Devonta Smith can do that, then he's going to have a, you know, 10 year career with the Eagles. And if he can settle down. So that would, I think that would be, that would be impressive for me. That was actually a question I had about Sirianni. How did you feel about that press conference? Because it is a bit weird. And, and, and coming off, I think, just the day before, Motor City Dan Campbell talking about biting kneecaps off and probably one of the most electric press conferences we've ever seen. Sirianni looked a little bit like deer in headlights. Were you worried about that? Or did you just put that down to being like, you know, rookie head coach? Just his first sort of time in front of all the cameras and stuff. Yeah, it doesn't really bother me. I think if you've seen him since, he's he's much more calm and collected since. I think it was just a case of, you know, it's his first time doing this. He's in the Philadelphia media who are, you know, renowned for being a bit sort of um, boisterous. Um, and, you know, he's like you said, he's never done this before. It's also all through Zoom as well. So it's a very different atmosphere having to do press conferences via video and not being in the room with all of the reporters. So, no, I, I, I think people were trying to make him out and out of Molehill. And since then, he's been much better in his press conferences so no I think it was just something for people to talk about but in reality I think he's sort of calmed down I, I love the energy that he brings like you know if that's what we need that's what we need if someone wants to you know bring that energy and that that competitive nature to the Eagles then so be it I think there's there's been a few players that have sort of coasted over the last few years so if you can get someone that just wants competition and it's interesting as well that they still haven't officially named Jalen Hurts as the, as the starter that I know it's obviously you know that could be just a you know, uh, and uh, you know that's something that, that most teams don't necessarily have to do, but they've insinuated that it's competition, competition every place, which so it should be, you know. So yeah, I I I don't really read too much into that from Sirianni. Yeah, it it like he's got a good resume as well. I mean, he was he was Colts offensive coordinator for the past few years. Then he'd been with Kansas City forever. He'd been with the Chargers for three four years as well before that. So. He's got a pedigree in the NFL and he, he clearly knows what he's doing. He's not like a Adam Gase where he, he lucked into a Hall of Fame quarterback being in his system and then is going to live off that reputation for the next 20, 30 years or whatever. He he clearly knows what he's doing. We saw what he did with the Colts last year. You know, it, as an offensive coordinator, he took them into the playoffs. They obviously got toppled by a far better team in the Bills, but they were hanging in there all, all season. Um. It's one thing the Eagles like. Sorry, it's one thing the Eagles like to do is they like to pick a tree, a coach from their own coaching tree. So when they went to Doug Peterson, they went from the Andy Reid tree because obviously he was. I think he had one year as the Chiefs' offensive coordinator. Previous that he was he was quarterbacks coach, and previous that he worked for the Eagles, and played for the Eagles as well. So they've obviously gone back to the Frank Reich coaching tree, and 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 Sirianni's been there for a while. I think he was he was I think he started as wide receivers coach, and has obviously worked his way up. So they rather than go for a for a team that you know like you said might have looked into a to a to a, a a star caliber quarterback and has just had a really good season and then gets plucked from a coordinator job into a head coaching job. I think they've done their research a bit more and gone for someone a bit more familiar, whether or not that works, I don't know, but you know, I, I think they've, I, I'm, I was, I was surprised. I didn't really know who he was to be honest when he was picked out. Um, I didn't really follow the Colts too well last season, but um, you know, it's so far he's, I think he said all the right things. So let's see. Yeah. I, I mean, I like him. I, I think it's a good pick. And I, I think if you're going to need a culture change, it's good to get someone fresh in there who's going to be able to install their own own culture. Uh, but bef before we talk about like how you became an Eagles fan and, and why the Eagles and stuff, let, let's talk about the Super Bowl win. And we see all the Patriots players on here and Tim even stuck Mac Jones in, much to my chagrin. But let, let's talk about that season... When Carson went down, Foles coming in in the playoffs and all the way up to the big game, how, how were your emotions up and down during... Let's talk about how the season was going just before Carson got injured. 
Well, I think I think to start with that season, I, I wasn't really. I don't think any Eagles fan would say they were expecting too much. You know, I think we were we had a good team. We had a really good off. In hindsight, we had a really good off season in terms of the pickups. Uh, obviously, they brought in Nick Foles, which obviously he went on to to lift the whole thing. But guys like Patrick Robinson at cornerback, Chris Long and Legarrette Blount from. Um, Super Bowl winning Patriots team, um, you know they they picked up a couple of really good players in in the free agency and then on, on the on the draft uh, sorry not the draft the uh, the trade deadline in week eight they also added Jay Jai as well who I thought was a really smart pickup for a fourth round pick, so they had they they you know. Um, uh, Howie Roseman sort of hit on all of his shots in free agency, which hasn't happened since or before. <laughs> Let's just make that clear. So the Eagles had a good roster. Um, and I think, you know, just before the season, they traded away... Um, sorry, 2016, sorry. They traded away um, uh, the quarterback... Uh, I'm forgetting his name. Um, why is his name escaping me? To the Vikings when um, Teddy Bridgewater went down. Um it was a previous first round pick just came off an ACL term. Why am I I'm blanking on his name? Um, they traded away him for a first round pick. So they picked up another first rounder in, in 2017. Um, and then Carson Wentz was a starter in 2016 and was, you know, okay. Wasn't amazing. Probably as much as you'd expect from a, from a rookie Sam Bradford. There we go. He's just come to me, Sam Bradford. Um, and then into 2017, I don't think the Eagles fans would say they were expecting much. And then they went, uh, 11 weeks and were um, before the Seattle game in week 13 uh, they were 11 uh, sorry 10 and 1 10 and 1 that was stunning like for a while they held they were the best team in the NFL by by a, I think a couple of games they were they were uh, stunning uh, a lot of people and I don't think anyone really had them as like the standout you know sort of Super Bowl contenders um, and I think it just got better week by week you know they they looked confident every single week. They went into every single game where, and there wasn't a game where I didn't think they could win. You know, they put 50 points up on the Broncos. Um, you know, they, they just looked dominant and, you know, uh, everyone was playing well. Zach Ertz was on fire. Um, Torrey Smith really helped as a deep threat. Alshon Jeffrey, who needed to prove himself after his, after his stint at the bears was, was exceptional. Um, and the defense played well, you know, and, and then, Week 14 came and Wentz goes down against the Rams and there was a you know question over his knee injury. What's what's what was amazing about that is he came he, he stayed in the game and he threw a touchdown pass to Jeffrey before he came out and went into the locker room, which is just <laughs> stunning on a torn ACL. Stunning. Um and I remember watching the press conference because it was you know, no one really knew. There was fears, but no one knew until Doug Peterson had his press conference like two days later. And so, but as he was walking up to the podium, someone asked him. And as he got to the podium, he went, yeah, torn ACL. And I just, everything just sunk. Everything just sunk. And I was like, oh, like he was the driving force behind that team. And he takes them to 11 and 2. And I, including a massive game against the Rams, which Falls came in and, and finished off. And I just thought like, how can we come so close and yet be so far now? And Falls comes in and does a pretty good job of, you know, steering the team. He's, he's not by no means, you know, uh, uh, lights out at that stage, but he comes in and the Eagles clinch the number one seed. And I think, okay. And at that point, that's when the whole underdog thing started because the Eagles played the Falcons in the divisional game and everyone had them as underdogs because Nick Falls was in a quarterback. Everyone. Um, and, the the Falcons game was a nail biter. They only won fifteen uh, ten, and they were a Julio Jones drop away from losing. You know, Julio probably should have caught that ball. Great play by Jalen Mills, ex LSU. Um, and uh, and then and then the Vikings game again. It, it, despite the fact that they all played at Philadelphia because Philly was the number one seed, the Vikings game came around, and I, I stayed up to watch it, which was like one thirty in the morning over here in the UK. And I remember staying up to watch it and thinking, if we could just make the Super Bowl again, just be, uh, just getting there isn't is hard enough in itself. And the Vikings went up, and Kirk Cousins looked good, and Kirk Cousins doesn't often look good, but Kirk Cousins looked good. And I was like, oh no, oh god, here we go, here's the collapse. And then Patrick Robinson made that interception and returned it for a touchdown. And then that was it. The Eagles went on and, and put up, I think, 38 points to seven. And that was it. And and that point, I knew th this is a good team. Regardless of who's at quarterback, this is a good team. And that whole two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, 
everyone had written them off because how could Nick Foles beat Tom Brady? How? How could he do that? There's no way Nick Foles could do that, regardless of whatever he'd done in the couple of weeks leading up to it. And and uh, I still, I've watched the game back a few times. Well, Brady's that. weakness is kind of goofy looking guys, I think. If you get a quarterback in there who looks a bit like a goober, I think that's Brady's weakness. We've seen it with the Mannings. And, and what and, and what I love about the fact that the Eagles did it was that they got over the hill because several teams have been and tried against not only the Patriots, but Brady. You know, look, the year before the Falcons were, you know, everyone remembers a 28-3 scoreline and the Falcons screwed it up and the Patriots won. The year after, the, the, the Rams went and they couldn't score any points. You know, say what you will about Jared Goff and that team and how they should have really won, but they just couldn't score any points and the Patriots win it again. And then Brady goes to Tampa Bay and even the Kansas City Chiefs can't beat him. You know, one of the best offenses ever created and, and they can't even beat him. You know, that's what I love. And that's, you know, if the Eagles don't win the Super Bowl again for another 20 years, we will always have that as fans that they were able to get one over on Brady eventually. And and that game, and what was great about that Super Bowl as well is it was such a good game. It was such a back and forth constantly just, I think there was something like 1,100 yards. Like Tom Brady now holds the record for the most yards thrown in the game by a losing quarterback. It was something like, he threw something like 600 yards. It was insane. Most, it was just most yards by any quarterback in a Super Bowl. Yeah, there you go. Like 500 something yards, yeah. That was an aston- astonishing stat. And it was just so back and forth that I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't tell what was going to happen. And then the strip sack. And then Brandon, of all players as well, Brandon Graham, the Eagle stalwart, the guy that's been there since 2010, the the guy that lives and breeds, uh, you know, Philly Green, strip sacks him, strip sacks him. And that was just such a poetic way for the Eagles to win. And if they were going to do it, that was the guy that did it. And, it, you know, the Eagles defense that night was dreadful. You know, the Patriots defense wasn't much better, but the Eagles defense was dreadful. And that's why the Patriots put up 33 points. And usually 33 points should probably be enough to win a Super Bowl. But the the, the Eagles offense was unreal that night. Alshon Jeffrey had the game of his life. Zach Ertz was excellent. LeGarrette Blount, I think he was an underrated part of that team. He's such a battering ram. And he was so good in short yardage situations. And I just don't think you could handle him. I don't think the Patriots had an answer for him. And ev- and ev- everyone just, just slotted into place. And, and it all lined up. And I've never seen a season like it. I don't think I ever will. And before we get and before we get on to obviously Jason Kelsey at the parade and and um the Philly Philly. Let's talk, let's talk about that. How how did that feel when you saw that play happen? I saw so I I was I think I was I was on my phone. Obviously there was a timeout before the before the play happened and I was on my phone. I think I just refreshed Twitter and I tried to stay off my phone because over here in the UK we watched it on a on a stream because we like I like to watch the American streams because you get all the commercials and it's great. So the stream is naturally about sort of 30, 45 seconds behind live time. So if I'm refreshing Twitter, all the, the analysts and the and the pundits that are all there will see it happen before I will. So I refreshed and I saw someone, I, I can't I think it might be Jimmy Kemsky, he's an Eagles writer, and he just he just tweeted, Oh my god. So I instantly put my phone down and I was just like, right, okay, I don't want to know anything more about what ha- what's about to happen. And then as they lined up and Nick Falls moves out to the right, to the to the running almost to the running back position, I was like, what's going, what's happening here? And then it all just happened so fast. And then and what made it so incredible was that the Patriots tried it early in the in the game and Tom Brady dropped it and that's what will make and, and everyone forgets that but that's what makes it so much sweeter is the fact that it was a fourth down the Eagles needed to score and, and Nick Foles ended up wide open in the end zone great throw from Dre Burton who was apparently a, a quarterback at high school but you know Nick Foles was wide open in the end zone and and he's still apparently to this day the he, only he played basketball at school he's he's got yeah. hands He's got hands, yeah, and he's the only quarterback ever to catch a, a pass in the Super Bowl, only one, which again is an astonishing stat. Huh. And yeah, because obviously that you know in a, in, a, in a Super Bowl you're not going to be throwing to your quarterback, and that and there's there's you know there's there's all kinds of videos of it, and I think the NFL films have done like a big a thing on it. And and what I love about that play was if you've watched it since, Falls actually goes up to Pedersen and says, "Do you want Philly Philly?" And Pedersen sort of pauses for a second, and just goes. 
yeah yeah okay let's do it let's do it if we're gonna if we're gonna play this way let's let's live and die by our by our you know being aggressive and that's what peterson was always really good at he was always really good at being aggressive and he did it and it worked and it will forever be probably the best player in super bowl history and and that set the tone i think for the rest and i think the eagles went in up at the half 22 13 i think something like that um and that was the last score in, in that in the first half and and yeah from there you sort of something was different some, the, the Eagles were not going to get balled over. There was no way this was going to be like a forty to seven game. This wasn't going to be a you know a Broncos Panthers Super Bowl. This was going to be a good one, and and I think it is actually has been the best Super Bowl of recent years, regardless of who was involved. And I'm going to bring up my conspiracy theory because I, I, I've talked about it before. And probably you will be less receptive to this than maybe other fan bases. But how, how do you respond to the the conspiracy theory that Bill Belichick threw the game because of the whole uh, Garoppolo trade, where he wanted to trade Brady, and then minutes before the game he takes out our number one corner, and then if the film is correct, Brady and the offensive coordinator are actually calling most of the plays and Bill wasn't calling plays on defense ever. Supposedly through the game as like a middle finger to Kraft. That's why he took out Butler and supposedly he just let Brady fucking go with it on the field. Do you give any cr- uh, credit to those rumors at all? Or do you think that's just hearsay? I, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a conspiracy theorist anyway, but I think if that were to be true, what what has he really achieved from that? Because the Patriots have won seven Super Bowls, or six or seven. You lose count of how many they've won, and they won it the year before, six, and they, yeah. won the, they won it the year after. You know, like what have they really achieved from that? And also, they they were in it until the end. They were in it right until the end. And had Brady have not been strip sacked and they'd gone down the other end, it would have been then they would have gone up 38-33 with with minutes left on the clock so they were i think they literally were a a strip sack away from winning that game they probably would have gone down the field and scored so you know i think that's perhaps something that patriots fans tell themselves to feel a bit better about the fact that they lost to the eagles um and i think the eagles you know i i I don't i don't buy that at all i don't buy that at all if he if he threw the super bowl why would he have even got there in the first place you know you don't just throw a season when you get to the winning game Uh, you know no i don't buy that at all yeah, just just supposedly, I know if people throw it out, it was sort of like a look what I can do if I want sort of thing. But yeah. let's get to my favourite part. A moment that I got goosebumps from, Jason Kelsey coming out in the mummer's costume in the parade. And even now, there's a few moments in football where I get goosebumps uh, and where I get emotional. And like whenever I watch Joe Burrow's Heisman speech... I cry. Uh, And whenever I watch like certain players give speeches, I get goosebumps. Michael Jordan's like Hall of Fame speech. Vanessa Bryant talking about Kobe recently. And Jason Kelsey, his speech at the Super Bowl parade gave me goosebumps. How was how did it feel to you watching that as a Philadelphia fan? I mean, the fact that he was in the costume was just perfect. It's just Jason Kelsey all over. Um, and he gave a seven-minute speech, you know, on the steps of, um, uh, you know, at the at the summit of of central Philadelphia, and uh, and his voice was gone, and he was still screaming into the microphone, and I think it just summed up how much that city had been bereft of a, of a winning football team. They got close in 2005 and have, have never really come close since. And it just showed how much that, that, that season and win meant to everyone. And, and, and what, what I love about it is that, you know, we've lived through the era of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and, 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 and guys like that. And, and there will be, those will go down as legends, but the teams around them will, you know, they've won, you know, there'll be guys on the Patriots that have also probably won close to six Super Bowls because they've been on that team for just as or near as long, you know? And what I love about the fact that the Eagles won was that was a whole new slate of guys, bar Chris Long and like Eric Blount, whole new slate of guys that, that experienced that. And we'll go down. Like, I personally think that, 
there might be a bit of a Philly bias here, but I personally think that Jason Kelsey is one of the best centers in the league, if not the best. Maybe he's getting a bit old now, but he's such a good player. And that meant so much to guys like him. You know, there's a reason his jersey's behind me. He's he's such a good player and he's so passionate. And, and, and the fact that he's even coming back next season in the middle of a rebuild shows how much he's dedicated to Philadelphia. And what his speech just summarized was just how much passion there was in that city for that win. And, you know, the night they won it, it, the scenes in Philadelphia, people were tipping cars. There was people, you know, they broke into the, into the, I can't remember where it was, the city hall, I think it was. They they tore the gates off or something. You know, they, they partied all night, which just shows how passionate, I said it earlier, you know, Philadelphia is a tough city. If, if you can't hack the, you know, the, the bad times, you won't be there for the good times. And the good times haven't come around much. And, and I think Kelsey summed up how much that city was was waiting for that championship. And and there's a, that's the reason there's a statue of Doug and, and Nick Foles outside of, of Lincoln Financial Field. Because for a city like Philadelphia, whilst I think they're a pretty well-run franchise, that doesn't happen every week. You know, guys like you who've supported the Patriots, and you know, it's not, certainly nothing against your fandom, but you've been spoiled. And I'm sure you'd agree with me. You've been spoiled for the fact that your team's been so winning over the last two decades. You know, there's teams like the... And I'm lucky enough that I've watched my team win a Super Bowl. I'm very lucky that I've experienced that. I've, I've got friends that have supported teams that have never even been to the Super Bowl. I haven't, certainly in our lifetime. And, and it makes you wonder, will we ever will we ever get to that mountain peak again? Will we ever get there again? And and in and soon in in years to come, guys like Brady and guys like, you know, Rogers and and you know, Breeze is already gone. The 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 quarterbacks that we grew up with will all be gone and, and teams can reset and rebuild and and yeah, I, I never expected it to see it so soon, but Kelsey summarized exactly how Eagles fans were feeling, I think. Yeah, it was it's beautiful to watch, and it, it couldn't have happened to a greater guy. We see, obviously, his brother, Travis, gets all the spotlight, but both guys came out of Cincinnati, were never handed a thing, worked their asses off to make it to the league. So I was actually really happy for him. So, Steve, you got to tell me how you became an Eagles fan, because this is an interesting question I ask a lot of people, is how they became a fan of their team. And we've heard a lot of answers from Kieran becoming a Green Bay Packers fan because of his Irish heritage and the green uniforms, or 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 someone like, uh, I think it was Tom last week, who talked to us about how he became a Cardinals fan because they drafted him in Madden. So how, how did you become a Philly Eagles fan? So... Um... I first became aware of sort of American football around sort of 2004, 2005. Um, I I would have been sort of 12, 13 at the time. Um, And my, I think my friend who I grew up with got an American football for Christmas, just a a, a smaller ball. And so we were throwing that around and I sort of vaguely became aware of the game. And I asked my dad that year to record the Super Bowl because back then we're talking Channel 4, late nights, uh, sorry, Channel 5. And it it didn't have the big Sky Sports following that it does now. Like you you couldn't get it very very many places. There certainly wasn't the whole slate of 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. games on on a Sunday night. And Um, Channel 5 certainly has its reputation in the UK. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it was, you know, it was like a, there might be one late night game a week or two a week, and that's what it was like. So I asked my dad to record the Super Bowl for me, which obviously in the UK is like 12.30 a.m. kickoff. Um, so he recorded it for me back when VCRs were a thing. And uh, that year it was the Patriots-Eagles Super Bowl. It's funny we're doing this because the Patriots and Eagles history sort of intertwines a lot with my following of the team. We're and one and the... one right now, so, so exactly. maybe we can get a future matchup Hertz versus Jones maybe former teammates former Alabama matchup in the Super Bowl poetic might Um, be fun um so yeah so I I I watched that Super Bowl the the Patriots Eagles and at the time I knew that the Patriots were were good um that was in the middle of their I think they won three in four years and I think it was the third of the three they won um and you know and, and Brady had become a little bit more established by that point you know it was his third I think it was his third win um and the Patriots were a good team Belichick had shown that he was a good coach and, and at the time I always remember telling people that I compared the Patriots. They were like the Manchester United of American football. Like they just won a lot. And I didn't want to support 
the, the I didn't want to be the glory hunter. I didn't want to support the team that just won. Um, and so I didn't really know too much else about football. So I just picked the Eagles because they were in the Super Bowl and they were the only real other team that I'd, that I'd heard of. Uh, the Donovan McNabb years when he was quarterback with Andy Reid as head coach and, you know, greats like Brian Dawkins and Brian Westbrook and, and, and guys like that. And and it, for, for a few years, it was difficult to follow because of the restrictions of, you know, availability on UK TV. Um, you know, back then there was no internet, there was no Twitter, a very, very early days of, of the internet. And, and um, you know, you couldn't just follow it like you can now, um, where you can just stream every single game if you want to. Um, and I think when I went to uni in 2010, uh, that's when I really started to pick it up because, you know, then stuff like, you know, uh, Twitter and, and, and NFL it became a thing on Sky Sports and they started to show more games. And that's when I really started to, to follow it more sort of closely and, and, and became much more of a fan. You know, the Mike Vick years. Um, Such a know, fun player as well. I'm, I'm fortunate with what happened with his career, but... Yeah, I feel absolutely. like and I, one thing I will always say about Mike Vick is that he he certainly sort of you know he paid his dues. He he's done a lot of work for charity since he since he did what he did, and he, and you know he sort of turned his life around. A fair play to him for that. But he was such a good player, yeah. hampered by injury, unfortunately. Um, and I think he could have even done more than he did. And and the miracle at Meadowlands when when uh, they brought it back against New York, what a game! Like he was a great player. Guys like him, uh, Shady McCoy, uh, Deshaun Jackson. Um, you know, the early days of Malcolm Jenkins, you know, those types of players. And and uh, I remember the Vince Young dream team comment with, you know, <laughs> Namdi, Namdi and, and guys like that, that they brought in and they said, you know, we're a dream team and the Eagles spent big in free agency, which they didn't really do back then. And then they went eight and eight. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of Eagles fans didn't live that down for a while. Um, like and the yeah, Cardinals past season, really. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then um, and then I remember the Chip Kelly years. And I remember not really knowing too much about Chip Kelly when he came in in 2013. But I remember that his Oregon offense ran this quick no-huddle offense, which in college was sort of a thing that kind of happened quite a lot in the college game. But it wasn't a thing in the NFL. NFL see, was a bit slower. We see college trends jump over a lot. Remember yeah. around like 2011, 2012, where NFL coaches were obsessed with the wildcat formation. So yeah. you'd see guys like Julian Edelman get drafted into the league in hopes that they could run the sort of wildcat offense. That was a really fun time. Yeah, exactly. And 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 for a while it worked. Like it was revolutionary. Like the, the, he had the 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 sort of players to to play that style of game, and they were quick, and it was and and defenses just didn't know what hit them, and it was it was really tough for them to sort of come around to that. But then when they gave Chip full personnel control and he trades away LaShawn McCoy, the star sort of franchise running back for Kiko Alonso, the linebacker from Buffalo. And it was like, what are you doing? How can you trade Shady? Like, come on. Like, you know, and I think that's when the, the sort of wheels started to fall off. And, you know, I, I've, I've certainly been a, a much sort of a, a bigger fan over the last sort of five to 10 years because it's been easier to follow them. But, you know, I, I had the, the, the good fortune of seeing them at Wembley in 2018, the year after they won the Super Bowl, which I've spoken about before. But, you know, the chance to see them as Super Bowl champions and, and you know, see guys like Carson Wentz and Zach Ertz and Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, you know, see all of those guys on the field. You know, that was a real special moment. I've, I've been to the States. I've seen Lincoln Financial Field, but I've never been over there in in, in the regular season. So I've never had a chance to catch them in the States. Um, but I would, I would like to, um, you know, if I can eventually. Yeah, I think, see, I, I'm blessed right now because the team that I, you know, as LSU fans, we, we kind of have a soft spot for it at the moment just because the amount of LSU talent they have on them is obviously the Cincinnati Bengals. I, I the, the funniest thing about them is you could literally go to a bridge and watch their OTAs because they practice outside. Uh, and the bushes they've placed around the, the field and the trees and stuff, strategically placed that you can just about see the field from the, the stadium, but there's a bridge that goes to Kentucky, which is why we get jokes about Cincinnati being called Northern Kentucky and the fact that their airport, the Cincinnati airport isn't in Cincinnati, by the way, which is a fun fact. You land there and they're like, huh, welcome to Cincinnati, kind of. Um, so you can go on the bridge and watch them do OTAs. So maybe if the Eagles have an outdoor practice facility, you could go visit by the stadium and potentially see them if it's not season time. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd love to get over there and see a game like actually in the stadium with all the proper Philly fans. You know, we've spoken about how passionate Philadelphia fans are. I think I'd love to see that. And and, and I think my sort of uh, fandom for the NFL has been sort of infectious around my friend group. We have a Super Bowl party every year now. We make a big weekend of it. Everyone's got their own team that they've sort of gravitated towards over the last sort of five years. So, yeah, it's it's and, and the NFL has certainly become a much bigger thing in the UK. You know, I said like when I started following, you had the one sort of game on a on a Sunday night on Channel Five. Now every single game is televised. If you want it, you can buy Game Pass. You can find streams. There are most of them are on Sky Sports. The Super Bowl is a massive week. There's all kinds of programming leading up to it. It's on. It's shown on three different UK TV stations on the night. So yeah, it's. I love the fact that it's become a much wider sport and it's much more followed in the UK rather than being being American football it's you know it's become a much sort of more passionate game over here as well which again just shows with that international series you know there's, there's more and more games coming over every year and with the likes of the NFL Academy we're finally seeing more Brits make it into the game and obviously we you know we've got guys like Tyrese Johnson Fisher who, who come over from he might be going to LSU just He's been practicing there, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> these guys who come over from rugby, we've got the Christian Wades at the Bills and F.A. Obada, who's now at the Bills too, who, who's been in the NFL for a good few years. Um, and it feels like with like Europe, but specifically the UK, is finally making its mark on the sport. It leads me to a question that I, I do ask a lot of guests, especially British guests. How far do you think we are from seeing a London franchise or a British franchise? And if we did get them, would you, would you sort of support them or would they sort of take a backseat to the Eagles? I certainly wouldn't support them. I'm, you know, I come from the school that you you have a team, you follow that team through thick and thin. Like nothing should change that allegiance, no matter your geography, no matter you know which other teams might pop up around you. You have your team, and they are your team. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the age old saying is if you don't support your dad's team or your local team, then why do you support that team? You know, that's the sort of the mantra that I would live by. But I I I sort of think that if the NFL was going to expand to London, it probably would have happened already. Like the Jaguars for a long time were sort of flirting with the idea of it. And, and it got I feel like it got close or at least it sounded like it did. Well, well Shad Khan tried to buy Wembley. Yeah, exactly. He offered them a billion exactly. pounds and yeah, said exactly. no. So then and Tottenham think, built an NFL stadium. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, I think it's probably come and gone. Um, I think that the toughest part is not only the logistics and the sort of the the, the geographical sense, but if you had a franchise in in the UK, would they literally just play their games here? Because one thing that often goes under the radar is what about stuff like visas and work permits and such like? Because if you've got a bunch of guys that play for one team that's in the UK, do, do those guys live in the UK? Do they move there? So, you know, if you're if you're a 21 year old guy that gets drafted out of college and gets to the UK team, do you move to England? Like, you know, that's the type of thing that I was thinking about. Like, do or do they just train in in you know somewhere on the East Coast and then they just fly over for their games? Well, th- this isn't talked about enough, but it's it's so easy to get a work permit if you're a professional athlete. They're, they're, true, es- true. Especially if you come into America, they have this thing. It was one of the visas I, I couldn't apply for, but would have been fun if I could. It's called uh, Alien of Extraordinary Ability, and it's not ET. Um, but you, if you are talented in a certain field and recognized as such, you can just go to America. And I'm sure yeah. the UK has something similar. Um, funny true. story, actually. A guy. So there's a channel on YouTube called the Slow Mo Guys, and it's a massive channel, and it's just dudes doing stuff with, yeah, I know the cameras guys. that cost, yeah. So Gavs. you know the the lead guy Gavin, he Gavs, only yeah. started that channel so he could get an Alien of Extraordinary Ability visa to move to the United States to work for Rooster Teeth. <laughs> so <clears throat> I think with professional, af- I I'm sure not many of them would be keen on uprooting their lives and moving to the UK for 20 plus weeks of the year. Um, uh, the travel thing never bothered me because, you know, Hawaii is a very, well, they're not even mediocre, but they're just a college team hmm. and they have to travel 5,000 miles plus sure. for certain games sure. inside the US. And, you know, New York to 
you'd probably just have to block out four home games in a row. Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. add more bye weeks just so they have a week to because you don't yeah. want to play jet lagged. You, you'd be the worst. You got to feel for those West Coast teams that have got an away game in London though. If you're like Seattle or LA or San Francisco and you've got a flight to London, which is like a twelve-hour flight. Oh. And the time difference and the jet lag, throw it all in there. Yeah, it's tough. I think I I, I don't think it will. I I think it was um, Tim you had on a few weeks ago, and he said it. I think it's more likely that we'd see a Canadian team first. I think that's probably a fair shout. Like you know, like a Toronto or, or a Vancouver or somewhere like that, because it feels like the CFL is probably you know somewhere where they'd expand to before London but you know London seems to be hosting all of these games and having been to one of them you sort of you see a shirt from every single team like it's it's a got a big following in the UK now so if it did happen I wouldn't be surprised but I th- I feel like it's there's a there's a lot to be thought about and I think it might just pr- prove a bit too taxing yeah and the NFL EU wasn't overly successful I mean the years it was operating <clears throat> the um, NFL was hemorrhaging $30 million a year, which feels like a cost they could just eat up now. But at the time, you know, 10, 10 15 years ago, even, well, even 20 years ago in some case, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So <clears throat> maybe they couldn't eat up now. But I feel like with what we're seeing from the XFL and the CFL with the potential merger and the fact that the CFL holds an international combine, so you've got players from... It's massive in so many countries, China, Japan, Austria, Germany, Italy, all of these places have professional teams and it's starting to happen in the UK. And with this CFL draft, I think the NFL is going to have to, they're never going to lose their throne as the top football league, Um, but they're going to have to potentially look at having like a G League sort of system, especially for players who straight out of high school, maybe don't have the option to go to college or don't have the money to attend college because some colleges aren't going to give out scholarships. So, I don't know, man. It would be interesting to see if they did, like, a European league, but as a G League, you know what I mean? Like, a minor league system. It does surprise me that there isn't an NFL version of what baseball has as the minor leagues, where they have single, double, and triple A ball. Um, And it really surprises me that there's nothing like that affiliated, like, officially affiliated to the NFL. Like, you know, these, you know, Every American sport has it. Exactly. And and these teams could all have, you know, triple A, double A, um, you know, all these teams down where they could pluck players from. And I'm sure that's got its its pros and its cons, but it feels like, why do they not have that? Surely then there could be more people involved in the sport at the highest level and more chances to make it to the highest level. You know, quite often in baseball, if, if you're a drafted, you'll go and play, you know, double and triple A ball for a few years before you even make it into the majors. Whereas in the NFL, they just come straight in. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's interesting that they've never done that. I, I, I don't know why, but, yeah, it, I, I would. I think we'd see that again sooner than we'd see a franchise in a foreign country. Yeah, because that's a fun thing in America. Is I've been to like a Toledo Walleyes game, and I think they're a Detroit Red Wings minor league system. And there's yeah. the Toledo Mud Hens, and then there's a. My favorite team name, by the way, is a, a team they used to be called the Florence Bats, and they had it was like a baseball bat with bat wings. But the city is famous. Well, say city, it's a town. They have a water tower, and on it it says Florence, y'all. And guess what? The baseball team changed their name to a couple years ago. Not that. The Florence Yalls. <laughs> America does it like mm-hmm. literally. I had no idea, but me and my girlfriend were driving through Florence to meet some friends in Kentucky, and. I, I saw the water tower, laughed, took a picture. Someone I do every time at how ridiculous it is. And we see a small baseball stadium. And I said, is that their team? Isn't that the Florence Bats? And she was like, I think they changed their name. So we drive up and across across the stadium, it says Florence Yalls. And it's the funniest fucking shit I've ever seen. How ridiculous. if you get drafted by whatever affiliate team there are and they've got to go play for the Florence Yalls. I'd... <laughs> I could do it. I've been playing MLB the show, and I thought I, I want to get drafted by the Reds since that's, mm. that's my baseball team. And some of the minor league names—they've got like the the Prairie Horses and yeah. the the Chattanooga Lookouts—are just yeah. some really weird names that they have over yeah. in American sports. That, <laughs> but that's the thing: American sports is a lot more 
as much as obviously we see fallout from like San Diego moving uh, to LA or you know Cardinals have moved from St. Louis uh, and Indianapolis and there's been all these teams moving around we don't see that in British sports so it's actually quite interesting because the last team that moved in the UK I think was MK Dons and AFC Wimbledon and that was literally <laughs> nearly the cause of riots I think when that oh, happened yeah. And that was because a club went into administration as well. I think the American system, they're built more on franchises rather than being like a community club. But then you look at some of the teams, there's some teams that haven't ever moved because they are like a, a sort of, you know, they are the, the center post of that city or that, that place. You know, there's the there's teams out there that have never moved in their, in their entire existence, but there's some that chop and change every year. So This is why know, it was such ages, a shock we, when the Browns moved. Yeah, and for ages we didn't have an LA team, and now we've got two. Well, three to potentially. I know San Francisco's yeah. not exactly LA, but it's it's right there, and yeah, huge markets. And there's there's huge markets left that don't have a team, like yeah, St. Yeah. Louis, uh, uh, and yeah, I mean Houston might as well not have a team, but it, <laughs> you you've got these huge untapped markets that don't have teams, like mm. the state of Oregon. Yeah, no yeah. professional football team whatsoever. I mean, they've got <coughs> college ball, but nothing yeah. to speak of. And I think that will become a more pertinent issue if the UK gets a franchise, because a lot of these yeah. American teams exactly. be like, "Hold on, this is uh, an American sport." They'll ignore the fact that it was invented by Canadian and Scottish people, but that they'll they'll be like, "Hey." Where, where's our team? So, uh, yeah. But I, I'm all for the NFL expanding, but I feel like uh, a minor league system would be so much more beneficial, not only yeah. to players, but also to like coaches. If you're like, you know what I mean? If you were a coach that kind of struggled in the NFL because you're thrown into the fire too quickly, I'm not going to say Adam Gase, but like a Cliff Kingsbury who clearly is in way over his head because he's yeah. got a talent packed roster but can barely break a 500 record. You send him down to the minor league where he's going to work with guys who are fresh out of high school or, or, or guys that couldn't quite make it in the NFL hmm. and then build back up. I think that would just be great for the ecosystem of football. Yeah, yeah. And it gets more players involved as well. And yeah, I think I think that's something that would happen sooner. And, and as well, I think if a London franchise happened, you, you wonder if if it would be taken seriously. I know it's, it would be an official franchise. It would be the NFL. But like like you said, there's, there's, there's cities out there that don't have a team. You know, like San Diego doesn't have a team anymore. And yet, yet uh, London would have one. You know, it seems a bit odd. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for coming on today, Steve. I, appreci- I right. appreciate it. And have you got anything to plug? Um, no, I think we're, we are, the full 10 yards guys are working on the season preview. I think that's about to start work now. So that's going to, I think, be out before the season. So I'd imagine sort of August time, I think. So that's something we're working on, um, for now, but no, apart from that, it's, it's sort of the, the off season, is it? It's a bit quiet. It's the worst thing about the draft is the draft happens. Everyone gets all excited about football again. And then you remember that it's, it's the off season. Isn't it? Yeah. Nothing happens again until like <laughs> end of August, early September when it all comes around. But no, it's been, it's been fun, fun chatting Philadelphia. Um, I think, uh, I, I could talk, I could have talked for hours and hours and hours about Carson Wentz and and what happened there. But one thing I will say, one parting note I will say, and this is the hill that I will die on. Um, in that 2017 season, until he got injured, until he got injured in that LA LA game when the Eagles were at that stage 11 and two, he was MVP. He was the league MVP, and I will hear nothing else but that because he no, would I have agree been, with you. Had he have not, because it, it, had he have not got injured, the Eagles probably would have gone fourteen and two, maybe thirteen and three, because the last game they would have not rest all the starters. But you know that's the type of form that would would win you MVP. So that is the hill that I will die on. Well, no, I, well, I agree with you. Same, same yeah. with Derek Carr the year before as well. But yeah. yeah, I appreciate you coming on, mate, and thank you every everyone for joining us. Remember to check out fulltenyards.com. We've just launched a brand new redesigned website it looks absolutely fantastic and obviously you can see all our socials down below at full 10 yards on twitter full 10 yards on facebook instagram now tiktok as well and youtube uh, and i am the himbo f10y you can catch me on twitter shouting at eagles fans and slowly infiltrating bengals twitter but thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you in the next one kick it and go kick it and kick it and go 